Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with people who know Vegas. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Vegas. We always hear that Vegas is a place where fantasies come true in adult Disneyland. These days, it's a little tougher. Gambling and fortunes can still be won or lost in a flash, but it's not exactly the same. Less screaming and yelling at craps tables blackjack tables with social distancing and we're just starting to have something to bet on at the sports books there's a lot less entertainment although the dining is still special and the hotel rooms still luxurious that said you can still fulfill a few of those bucket list items for example how about driving a ferrari 488 a lamborghini or do you prefer a little more achievable dream like a corvette or a porsche Take your pick, then you can take it out on the longest and fastest racetrack in Las Vegas. The place is Speed Vegas, and we'll give you all the details today in the first half hour of Vegas Never Sleeps. Some of our team of Vegas experts are here as well, and once again, in the second half hour, Vegas Never Sleeps will present the Sports Rockin' Tours. Today's topic will be the coach of the 80s, Bill Walsh of the San Francisco 49ers. But up first... Let's discuss the need for speed. Let's go to Vegas, baby. Let's go tonight. Let's go tonight. Let's go to Vegas. We'll stay up all night. I'm with Allison Riskansky, and she is with this great place called Speed Vegas. When you come to Las Vegas, you got to do it. I'll tell you, it, it, don't be frightened. Think that you can't get in these vehicles. We just have to talk to her. But now, Allison... Well, I think people are going to love this because, you know, you see stuff like this on TV and stuff. There's nothing like going out there. I went out here before we started chatting. Do you get when people come in, do they kind of look at you and say, what should I be doing here? Or do they know exactly what they want and what type of vehicle and that kind of thing? I'd say we get a mix of both. We have actual car owners that have these cars but have never been able to drive them without limits like they could here or get them up to their true performance. And we have a lot of first-timers that never thought they could ever get behind the wheel of one of these vehicles. Let's talk a little about the experience because it's not just, you don't just come here and they throw the keys at you. It doesn't work like that. So when somebody comes here, they pick a vehicle, then how does it go? Do they just automatically go in? Is there some instruction? How does it work? So uh, when they get here, they have a choice of picking their vehicle when they arrive, or they can look around and decide after. We want to make it as easy as possible, so even if they pre-book a time, they can come out and point at their vehicle. Some want to do multiple vehicles. Uh, A lot of people choose to drive a vehicle and then get a ride-along from a professional coach that knows the track and the vehicle, uh, so they can see what it can do when they really know it. Um, There's a big mix. They do get some uh, safety briefing instructions. Uh, They get uh, shown how the track looks, uh, what to expect on the turns, uh, when to brake, and then the professional coach in the car with you, whether they're driving you or you're driving along with them. Again, doesn't have to be uh, decided until you actually get to the vehicle and decide. Um, But 
they'll be in that car to help you uh, know when to shift, know when to brake, when to accelerate, how to get the performance up to its, you know, utmost uh, speed and and uh, performance. Talk about where these drivers come from, because the guy I went on, a guy named Jimmy, was incredible and uh, could do things that I wouldn't even dream of doing with, with a vehicle like that. But he was saying that sometimes it's important to have somebody in there because they can, when you're a newcomer, don't worry about it. He's got a brake. He, you know, he can reach over. They really have uh, really comfortable in those vehicles, even from the passenger side. Yeah, I think that's the way the program is designed, is to make the passenger or the new driver as comfortable as possible so they can get a great experience. These guys that we have here, um, great team, uh, they all drive professionally or have driven professionally in the past. They know. I think um, for the most part, uh, they're very secure with it. Uh, they're not, uh, you know, we're equipped to handle situations because if you think about it, you're a professional driver, you know the cars, you know the tracks, you've done this, and all of a sudden you're a passenger in a vehicle with someone who's never touched a car or driven anything like this. So it really takes uh, a lot of training. Um, we have, you know, systems in place for that, uh, and, it, and it just takes an understanding of who their customer is and what they're going to do. There's different levels of customers. If we have a professional race car driver that comes out and they race a lot, um, their expectation of the experience is going to be different than someone who's never driven before. So they're very well trained and understand who their customer is. So what do you do with the occasional Yahoo that comes in and thinks, you know, all of a sudden they're on they're on the circuit and so forth and uh, realizes uh, that maybe this isn't as easy as it looks? Yeah, I mean, the track is uh, built, designed and built for this experience. It's got an amazing half mile straight. It's got the turns. This is not a parking lot that we've rented and tried to retrofit. Uh, so with that in mind, there's a lot of runoff spaces that are paved if by chance they miss that. Uh, as you see, the instructor does have uh, a brake on the right side and, and has the ability to do that. These cars are so smart that they are automatic and paddle shift mode. So if they're in it and somebody chooses to do the shifting and really doesn't shift when they're supposed to, these cars downshift for you. They're not going to let the engine go bad because someone just didn't know when to shift. So, you know, we we would like to think we thought of everything. Uh, we've thought it out very well. And as in any new business, when you open, you adjust and you realize where you might have missed something or where something could be better. Um, and, and it's been open for a couple of months now. So we feel that we're in the right place. Time now for some tasty barbecue. Advice, that is. Time to hear from Grillmaster Mike Ross of Jesse Ray's Barbecue. The grill that fits you the best and the grill that's efficient. That is like the two most important things. Yeah, you can go get a cheap grill, but I'll tell you what, you're going to have a hard time doing anything on it. So you just really got to take that. In. And I'm not talking about getting in a really expensive one. The small Smoky Mountain, I think, is 199 compared to the, you know, one that you get at a big box store for um, 119 So it's really important that you have that good, efficient, well-built, insulated grill because you'll have an, you'll have, you won't be able to do much with it if you don't. So that's one thing. Literally the only thing that I think that you absolutely need is a leave-in thermometer. And that's a thermometer that you can leave in the meat 
while you are cooking and have an outside, have an outside box that tells you the inside of the meat. If you're using a, like a pellet smoker that has its own internal uh, thermometer system, then you don't need uh, an ambient one. But most of these internal probes that you leave in your meat and then have a little box on the outside so you can monitor the meat's temperature without opening your lids, right? Yeah. And letting your heat out. So, and it'll tell you and it'll alert you when you're at a certain temperature. And you can use this for fish and steaks and everything. There's one that just came out by a company called Meter, I think, and M E A T E R or R E or something. That's a, the first ever wireless probe. And it's literally just a, a Bluetooth probe. And you stick it in the meat, and there's no wires, and it just it re, and it comes straight to your phone. It's a very, really cool product, stuff like this. And then if you are using, like, a Smoky Mountain or a, a charcoal and wood uh, smoker, you can also leave a probe on your grill to tell you the ambient temperature so you can monitor both from your – literally from your phone nowadays or just the box that's outside. So the yeah. internal temperature is absolutely needed. Thanks, Mike. And here's a reminder, if you're in Vegas or headed there, make sure to visit Jesse Ray's. If you mention Vegas Never Sleeps, they take 15% off of your bill. Great food at a great price. That's what we like to call winning big in Vegas. Back with Allison Rosansky of Speed Vegas, where you can drive the car of your dreams and drive it fast, very fast. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. This is Justin Shando, the 2010 Ultimate Elvis Tribute Artist. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. To re-emerge stronger and safer than ever, ask yourself these crucial questions. Should all restaurants, retailers, and venues have new safety and sanitation procedures in place? As a business owner, how can you assure your valued guests that proper protocols are being followed? How can you give your guests confidence knowing that you've prioritized their health and safety? Introducing VirusSafe Pro, a revolutionary mobile technology software that provides checklists, reminders, and confirmations to help your team perform health and safety measures right on schedule. It allows you to close the information gap in the workplace by giving your employees a dedicated source of credible instructions in a timely manner, right from their mobile devices. Validate compliance with health and wellness standards, provide regular safety and health messaging, and confirm that approved protocols have been performed all in real time and an easy to read dashboard. Tracking and verifying health and safety procedures in your business has never been more important. To learn more about how VirusSafe Pro can help you reopen, visit VirusSafePro.com. Medicare rules are confusing. They should be. There are over 130,000 pages of regulations. There's Part A through D, Medicare Advantage, and Medigap. According to the CMS, there are government programs available that can help you pay for your medical expenses. Choosing the right Medicare plan is a really big deal. The wrong choice can cost you a lot of money, and the right choice can put more money in your pocket. Call one of our licensed representatives today. At 65 Plus Medicare, our free service can show you a plan that will maximize your Medicare benefits, ensure you are taking advantage of all available government assistance programs, and save you money. Plus, call right now and get a free report on how to avoid costly Medicare mistakes. Call now. 800-253-8126. 800-253-8126. 
800-253-8126. That's 800-253-8126. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Let's get back to our conversation with Allison Rakansky of Speed Vegas, where you can drive a Ferrari, the Vet, Porsche, and many more models at a track for the experience of a lifetime. If people are worried, because you know you, you look sometimes in race car things, and you see they not they don't look like your car at home. I mean, they're very uh, empty and very uncomfortable. I drove in that Nissan. That was beautiful, and it's it's comfortable for people to sit in there. It's not like you, you have to to really appreciate you had to be driving on the circuit for several years. Sure, and that's the difference I think between being a race experience and a driving experience. Uh, we, we do let you do that. You can time it. You can see how fast you did or try to beat your own time. But we're not really stock cars or something that you're not going to relate to in your everyday life. It's a really fun experience. and You can buy some fun things here. Are you planning to expand that as you move into the new uh, facility, which is right next door? It's in the same spot. Yeah, absolutely. As I said before, we have 22,000 square feet, um, some retail space that would be great, cafe, so we'll have some food and beverage, coffee service. We have a deck on the second floor that you'd be able to grab some food or a drink or be served up there and hang out and watch with your buddies if you, someone in your party is, is driving. You want to just come out for lunch and have the atmosphere. There's event space, there's private group space, lots of bachelor parties. Um, and, and lots of options to do. We, we really uh, pride ourselves in designing specific experiences for the customer. Well, I think one thing that will surprise people is, while it's, it's not 10 bucks, at the same time, I was expecting it to be much more expensive for like a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It's pretty reasonable. Are you getting that from people that say, wow, I can afford to do this? Yeah, I think we um, targeted to be available and accessible to everyone. So everything from maybe a 10-year-old kid that you know, got did something well at school and the dad wants to get him into the car. If you're six years old or 60 pounds, you can ride along in any car that you want. A lot of driver's license, the parents bring them out. Good job, you got your driver's license, graduation presents. Um, and our, our prices start at $99 and they go all the way up. You can create your own package. We have lots of packages that combine American muscle cars with exotic cars. We have packages where you're driven around, packages you can drive. So it, anywhere from 99 up, we have packages that are 2,000. It just depends on what you're looking to do. Yeah, and it sounds like a great idea for that 16-year-old. Once they drive in that, they're going to realize, ah, it's not worth trying to do this on the street. You can't do that. Well, let's tell people how they can find out more. First of all, where is it on the web? And on my next trip to Las Vegas, how would I find out more and, and reserve some time out here? Sure. It's speedvegas.com. Uh, we are open to the public with no reservation. We call it a free sell. You can go on the website and book any time. You don't have to pick the car or the time. You just reserve and you show up anytime between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m., seven days a week, all year round. We make it very simple. Or you can pick the time slot that you actually need. If, it's, if you're on a tight schedule, you can pick your exact car, your exact time slot. Uh, we do have a shuttle. Uh, a lot of people choose to come on their own. There's taxi, Uber. We're so close to all the hotels, it's never a problem. And like I said, you either reserve or you just show up. Sounds great. Thanks so much for being with us today, Allison. Can't wait to drive again. Thank you. Next time, you got to take a drive yourself. Let's check in now with your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. 
You can still see Whitney Houston in Las Vegas, or at least that was the idea of the Flamingo, a hologram show. Now, I know that got kind of delayed a bit. Is that actually going to happen? And are we going to start looking at entertainers that have passed coming back to Vegas even uh, post-death? Well, it, it remains to be seen. It's going to happen, I believe. It's going to have live performers mixed with a hologram of Whitney Houston. I cannot foresee it being very popular. It's just, you know, it's a marketing hook. It's new and different, but there's really just not that. I don't think there's going to be that level of interest. So I, I wouldn't say it's going to, every showroom is going to be full of virtual performers. Uh, there's still something to be said for a live performance by an Elton John or a Celine or Rod Stewart. Uh, and while we would all love to have Whitney with us, I cannot imagine this being any good. I've been wrong before. If they have enough pizzazz around this hologram, and the holograms are not kind of like Logan's Run style, you know, right. futuristic <laughs> things. They're just kind of like, they're kind of 3D projections. But it's, you know, if you love her music, you could just go into a room and close your eyes and just listen to the music if you like it. I, I think it's going to have a limited appeal. The super fans are probably going to go, but that's about it. But I, I wouldn't expect that we're going to see a proliferation of virtual performers. Yeah, not the Beatles and Elvis and all that kind of thing uh, playing at the strip. Uh, let's hope not. Here's another question that comes up, and uh, you talked a little bit on your blog, and I, I'm kind of curious. Some people want to make casinos smoke-free. Now, I, n I don't smoke, never have, but that doesn't bother me in there. It seems right in there. But some people are determined to get that. Do you think we're going to see truly smoke-free casinos? Well, that has been a huge debate, um, probably, you know, more so during a pandemic, but prior to that, too. I mean, it's one of the last places where you can smoke, uh, you know, indoors. So there's always been advocates, not just the, the anti-smoking folks, but just employees of these casinos. You know, they have an extended period of time and they're exposed to cigarette smoke. And now, especially because of coronavirus and COVID-19, they're related to their respiratory-related uh, problems. So more than ever, there's a lot of discussion and debate going on. I've, I've had more, probably more interaction on the blog post about smoking in casinos than I've had about anything else. Uh, you know, I'm biased. I don't smoke. I would prefer people not smoke in my face. But I think there's a lot of old school casino folks who are under the mistaken impression that casinos that don't allow people to smoke, that they don't do well. And casinos will rattle off a lot of examples from the past of studies and real world examples of casinos they've seen fail because of, you know, they attribute that to the non-smoking policies. But I think a lot of that is really outdated. I think it's absurd to say that Asian players will not come and gamble if they can't smoke. It's ridiculous. Like, how do they fly on planes? How do they eat at restaurants? It's, it's banned everywhere indoors. So I have a bias, but I, I get that. Too much change all at once is it's tricky stuff, and I think people are nervous about it. So I just can't see anybody in Vegas making that leap. I had heard at one point the Planet Hollywood is going to try it, uh, but actually when I tweeted it, Caesars Entertainment jumped in to say that is not true. So you can see they're very sensitive about it because they never answer any of my tweets. It, it'll be interesting to watch because it, it has never been more top of mind. Uh, obviously, there's, you know, some of the concern is that with smokers, they're touching something that's touching their mouth. They touch their face. They're putting a cigarette down. Somebody's got a clean nap. They're blowing smoke. 
there's some questions about whether you, you can spread this via smoke as well. So there's just a lot of uh, there are a lot of things in play, a, a lot of moving parts. I just don't see it happening when we reopen. But I, I'm glad the subject has come up, and so few people smoke in the population. Uh, the numbers that I've heard are about 14% smoke in the overall population, but it's been estimated that 30% or more of casino gamblers smoke. So that shows you kind of what they're up against when they start thinking about changing these policies. Thanks, Scott. Visit VitalVegas.com every day and follow Scott on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Remember, all of our shows are archived on our website, VegasNeverSleeps.com. You can also listen on SoundCloud, iTunes, and more. Coming up, Vegas Never Sleeps presents the Sports Rockin' Tours. Today's topic, one of the great coaches in NFL history, Bill Walsh. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Vegas, here we go! Welcome to the Sports Rockin' Tours, a show that presents the observations, recollections, and memories of a select group of storytellers who represent the past half-century or so of American sports. The people who were actively involved with or bore witness to those events that shaped our childhoods, kept us engaged, and kept us coming back for more. Each week, you meet fascinating people, some of who you'll recognize and some you'll never forget. These are folks you're going to want to spend time with. What's a raconteur? Someone who knows their stuff and knows how to tell a story. They were there, or they were close, or they are able to bring informed and knowledgeable insights. Whether it's a case of I remember that, or I forgot about that, or I didn't know that, the sports racks will entertain, inform, and amuse. Today, you'll hear the story of a well-regarded assistant coach taking over an NFL franchise that had been struggling for decades. His name is Bill Walsh, and an eyewitness to those remarkable days shares how he did it. When you cover sports teams, you learn very quickly how important the PR guy is. And I was fortunate enough to start with one of the really best. We actually worked together originally when I was in college. His name is Jerry Walker, and he's the public relations director of the San Francisco 49ers from 1981 all the way to 93. He's now the team archivist and Really just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the 49ers. Jerry, well, to bring us to the, what it was like, you come up, this is your first pro job, you're coming in. You didn't have any idea that you were going to bring a championship to them, did you? It's funny you should say that because people that I know around the team and that we all joke about, it wasn't Jack Reynolds and it wasn't Fred Dean and it wasn't uh, Joe Montana and all those people. It was Jerry Walker joining the team that got us our first Super Bowl championship. Uh, and that's a joke. <laughs> that's where the canned laughter should come in. So, no, we, we were hoping that we could, you know, be 500 that year. It was uh, Bill had come in in 79, and they were 2-14 and 14 in 79, and they were 6-10 and 10 in, in 80. So they were kind of making, you know, improving a little bit every year. But then we went crazy in 81, and we were 13-3. and three. Yeah, I remember it, and it was exciting to be in the Bay Area at that time because the year before, the Raiders had won the Super Bowl. And really, the 49ers up until 1981 were kind of a franchise that really kind of struggled a bit. I mean, they had a long history, and there were some great players in there. 
But this was the first sign, really, of, of greatness. They came close a couple of times, I know, in the early 70s. But by, by and large, and this was Bill Walsh, right? Because you come in, like you say, they're 6 and 10. They were thinking maybe make the playoffs at that point? We actually weren't aiming at the playoffs when the season began. When the season began, Bill seriously wanted to um, just improve on the 6 and 10 from the previous season. And if we could be 500 or more, we were going to be happy with that. We, we really were. I, I heard that spoken many times in the early season. You know, we started that year, we lost two of our thir- first three games. And then we only lost one more time the rest of the season. Right. It was it was an incredible thing because I remember just a couple of years before, guy we knew from our college days, Steve DeBerg, was a guy who Bill Walsh used to say was just good enough to lose. And But yep. who knew that Joe Montana, who he had a storied career at Notre Dame, but I don't think anybody could have foreseen what ended up to happening for him. No, it, you know, that, that was remarkable. And, and you're exactly correct on Bill's quote. Bill, Bill said at a press conference, well, it's, Steve's just good enough to get you beat. It's like, <laughs> oh, oh, to start one and two, you know, no one, I promise you, no one outside of our locker room, outside of our facility thought, well, these guys are going to be Super Bowl champs. Right. But then the big turnaround really came against uh, Dallas at home, right, where they were handily beaten by the 49ers, and that just was something that didn't happen. Exactly. And um, I had my career began in sports information at the college level, and I worked at LSU before coming out west. And um, at LSU – we, uh, we got along well with the writers, as most PR guys do. And one of the one of the writers from from my LSU days became a, a major writer for the Dallas uh, Morning News, Gil Lebreton. And, and Gil, uh, after that Dallas win at home, Gil came up to me in the press box and said, "Man, you guys were lucky." <laughs> I said, what? "What are you talking about?" He said, "You guys were lucky." I said, "I said, Gil, I hate to use this against you, but look at the scoreboard. What do you mean lucky?" And he said, well, I hope we get to see you again in the playoffs. I said, I hope we make the playoffs. Right now we're aiming for 500, but this year was a pretty good jumping off point to beat you guys the way we did. The convincing point that that season was going to be special actually came when they were in Cincinnati. I remember it and watching it on TV, and the Bengals were really good, and they ended up playing them, of course, in the Super Bowl. But that was where they go into Cincinnati and they win. That kind of erased any doubts, didn't it, that this was just a fly, you know, a lucky season or anything like that? I think, yeah, I think we started building and building. You know, the, the tough loss later on after the starting one and two, the tough loss was I grew up in the Cleveland, Ohio area as a big Browns fan. And I was joking with uh, my wife, Jackie. I said, I don't know who to pull for this weekend. And she said, you got to be kidding me. Who pays your paychecks? And I said, well, <laughs> I was joking when I said I don't know who to pull for, but it's going to be a tough thing to, to watch my Brownies get beat. She said, you're going to enjoy it. Well, I didn't enjoy it because the Browns beat us. And, and yeah, turning, turning things back around, then we started after that Browns loss, we started a little win streak, including that, that game at Cincinnati. It was big, and it was real big for Bill since he was a former Bengals assistant coach. Yeah, he kind of, um, not resented it, but he, he thought he should have been the heir apparent, and I'm sure they would agree with that right now. He, I think he was the heir apparent. I, I hate to talk bad about Paul Brown. It was actually a, a plus for the Niners. It ended up being perfect for the Niners, a wonderful thing, because when Bill got passed over for Tiger Johnson, who used to be a 49er, when, when Johnson was hired instead of Bill, Bill was kind of in shock and was really uh, 
really anti-Cincinnati Bengals at that time. So when we came back and beat them during the regular season in Cincinnati, it was a big win for Bill. And then, of course, when we beat them in the Super Bowl, it was even a bigger deal. Yeah, no question about it. Let's run through the playoffs, and then I want to really talk about Bill Walsh, the person. But that started out with the New York Giants, and that was no guarantee. But I remember being at Candlestick Park that day. There was a certain excitement that I hadn't seen on that side of the bay. I'd seen it on the east side for certain games and so forth, but never there. And, boy, you know, there was just a, a thrill there. And that was when Lawrence Taylor was there, right? But Bill figured a way to stop him. A guy named John Ayers. John Harris had maybe one of the best games ever as a lineman. John Harris was his his assignment was to block Big Lawrence, and he did. Boy, so they win that. They go they go back there. It's in Detroit, probably the worst place to hold a Super Bowl at that time. You know, because it was in the. the <laughs> remember the weather back there, uh, Jerry? I, I, I went a, a week ahead of the team back there to get the hotel ready and set up TV, television, radio interviews, and things back there, and. I slept in my, our hotel lost its power, lost its furnace the, the, the night I checked in. I slept in my ski jacket all night. It was just unbelievably, I mean, I, I grew up in, in Ohio, so I kind of knew a little bit about that weather, but Chicago weather with that wind whipping off the lake, that was ugly. That was really, that was, it was like, we we bemoaned it, if that's the proper terminology, <laughs> that we make it to a Super Bowl and it's not in Miami, it's not in New Orleans. Where is it? Detroit, Michigan. Yeah. Well, that was the first time they really did that, right? Get it went out of the Sun Belt. That was, I think that was the first one they held. Yeah. And, you know, thank God. I mean, they've they've held a couple out of the Sun Belt since outside. But thank God we had the Silverdome to play in. Yeah, exactly. Or would have been a would have been a mess. And you know, the one thing I remember about that game again, Cincinnati comes in. Most people were thinking that they were going to win because you know Forrest Gregg, the coach, and so forth. And you know, this was the 49ers' first time in. And one thing I remember was that great stop by Danny Buns, a guy that you don't even think of him anymore, but just an incredible stop. And that kind of was one of those again turning moments, right? Exactly. It was. It was definitely a turning moment in that game. And Bunzo. And his wife have a, a ranch slash farm up near Rockland in Roseville, up near Rockland, where the foreigners used to train. And they grow lavender. Ah. So this, this this big old bulky defensive lineman, I mean <laughs> a, a linebacker, makes a big, huge stop, a game-winning stop. And uh, and what does he do now? He's he's gardening lavender. We will be back with the former public relations director of the San Francisco 49ers and current team archivist Jerry Walker in just a moment. Here at the Sports Racks, we want to hear from you. If you have anybody or any events you'd like us to discuss, email me at stephen at vegasneversleeps.com. You're listening to the Sports Rock on Tours with Stephen Manchin. Okay, Sean, we need to talk about our training budget. We're spending almost $1,500 per employee each year. What's the plan? Well, ma'am, 42% of companies are saying that e-learning has led to an increase in revenue. What does that do about the travel expense? E-learning allows employees to learn wherever they are. Then we need to consider the time away from production. I heard that e-learning takes up to 60% less employee time than traditional classroom training. 
perfect. Let's find a curriculum company, a development company, a learning management software company. Actually, Epsilon XR specializes in end-to-end learning solutions with tools such as instructor-led training, online classrooms, simulations, virtual and augmented reality, and curriculum development. Get Epsilon XR on the phone. Epsilon XR creates immersive learning environments that engage with your learner, resulting in improved information retention, which leads to better performance and ultimately an increase in revenue. Learn more at elearning.epsilonxr.com. Welcome back to the Sports Rock and Tours. You are listening to Jerry Walker former public relations director of the San Francisco 49ers and current team archivist. Now, you notice we missed the Dallas game, and the reason was that was almost as important to Bay Area fans as the Super Bowl win, that beating Dallas, finally getting to the Super Bowl, and that's, of course, the game with the catch. And there's just so many special things about it. Do you think back on that game a lot? Yeah, of course I do. That game highlights and, and, and highlights of Dwight Clark's catch and I mean, that, that's used so much in Sports Illustrated and on television that that game always reflects in my memory. And at that point, you know, we were we were just hoping to win a playoff game. Uh, and then when we get to the championship game, it's like, oh, my gosh, we're a game away from the Super Bowl. Yeah, it was really something, you know, the, the great, and uh, we, we certainly miss him, Dwight Clark. Uh, that's going to always be his place uh, in sports history. Everybody will always know about Dwight Clark. Let's get into the character of Bill Walsh, because sometimes it's real easy for people that weren't around him and so forth. And I know you were close friends with him, uh, and I had some some dealings with him as a member of the press, and he's thought of as a genius. This idea, though, that he was easygoing, boy, is that wrong. I remember him at Stanford. If he lost a game that he thought he shouldn't have lost, that was one angry guy, and you had to be really careful what kind of question you asked him, or he could just jump all over you. Yeah, I, I've seen that side of Bill. I, I have uh, his daughter Elizabeth is a, an artist. She's in L.A. now, and we always joke when we get together about how many times her father fired me. <laughs> always hired me back, but he fired me five times. So you felt his wrath. I didn't realize that. Yeah, he was he was an excellent guy to work with, and and I had I had had some some other coaches that were uh, Charlie McClendon at LSU, who was a Mister Easygoing guy until they got beaten. And so I, I had a little bit of experience in that regard, but yeah, Bill, Bill was, he definitely winning at all at was, was the number one goal was winning. You know, it reminds me a lot of Vince Lombardi. I had sp- spoken to Lombardi's uh, biographer, David Moranis. And one of the things he said is, you know, well, these players hated him and loved him at the same time. And I kind of got the same thing feel from Walsh where, boy, he could get on you. I remember guys would miss a tackle, and he just would just berate him. You know, you'd see that once in a while. But they didn't miss it again, so it worked. So, so Bill's, Bill's um, approach was, he, yeah, he would get on players from time to time, but more often his wrath was felt by assistant coaches. If he wanted to get a, a defensive lineman, if he wanted to get his attention, he would get, jump on Coach McPherson, the defensive line coach, or he'd jump on Sam White. Uh, well, he was offensive quarterback coach, but he would jump on you know Chuck Studley. He'd, off, he'd get on one of the defensive coaches, and he'd, he would just like berate them, and that was so so that the players would get the attention, he'd get Bill's attention, and and not be 
not feel like he was always coming down on them. But occasionally, yeah, you you could see it overflow into the player himself. You mentioned coaches, and boy, I was as getting ready to talk with you. I was doing a little research and it brought all this stuff back, and I'm looking at. How many coaches, including a guy like John Gruden, who's you know coaching the Las Vegas uh, Raiders, and you know, I just mentioned him because they all have this connection to Walsh, Mike Holmgren. Exactly. I, I when I think of John Gruden, I think about when he was a an intern with us, a graduate assistant almost in, in style, and he would sit outside the the coaches' meeting rooms, and I'd come around the corner of that hallway. And I, I knew he'd be sitting there, and I'd always pretend like, oh, 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 I almost fell over you. What the heck are you doing out here? <laughs> and, and then I'd laugh, and I'd say, yeah, I know. You're sitting there picking up knowledge because someday you're going to be a head coach. He'd say, that's right, J-Dub. Keep moving. <laughs> well, you know, one person we both knew from San Jose State had told me before I even really knew who Bill Walsh was. I, I, I knew this was before he was a 49er coach. I knew he was an assistant in the league and so forth. But Bob Bronson, who uh, coached him there, said, this guy's going to be good and he's going to be one of the all-time greats. And he said, you could see that with him from the point when he first got into coaching, even as a player. He just loved the game. And I, I guess all the coaches, the great coaches, and you've seen some that have followed him that have been great too, they all just love the game, right? Because well, how else? Well, you mentioned like Gruden. Who else is going to stay and do that for 15, 16, 18 hours a day? Exactly. And Bronson, that's a Hall of Famer you're talking about there. What, what a great man he is. I think Bill may have coached under him after Bill was a player at San Jose State. When, he, when his playing days were over, I think he maybe coached with Coach Bronson at, at San Jose State. Yeah, and it's it, you know what it's funny because the last time I saw Bob Bronson was sitting up. I, I was covering that game, that that famous game with the Cowboys, and boy, he couldn't have been prouder. He was sitting, he had a nice seat in the stands, and he could not have been prouder. It was, you know, I guess he had Dick for, Dick Vermeil had worked with him too, and this was just like his life's work coming out in the big big time. Yep, yep, mine too. I couldn't have been prouder. I was really happy for you because I I know that. It's a dream, right? I mean, you don't have to necessarily be suited up or even one of the coaches. When you get a, in an organization like that, you feel a real part of it. Oh, definitely. And and Bill always treated everyone like they were a big part of it. You know, it was it was never like, oh, you're the PR guy, you'll you'll do this. It was like, you know, congratulations, we want another one. Not not I want another one, but we want another one. He he not only had this great Hall of Fame lifestyle, so forth. I mean, you look at his records, incredible. But this guy changed the game because I really think this whole West Coast offense really changed the game from what it was before that. Oh, it definitely it definitely did, and that's why so many of the coaches from Bill's tree spread out and took the offense with them, and, and then made a little a change here and a change there to make it their own offense. But yeah, the West Coast offense definitely changed the game i you know as i mentioned earlier i grew up near cleveland watching the cleveland browns and you know that was give the ball to jim brown and get out of the way um <laughs> yeah. where the west coast audience was you know people would say dink and dunk but bill had a you know a formula we'd run one play and if you're sitting in the stands it's like what the heck why did we run that well we come back with that play then the next series or something that's a touchdown well, wasn't he the first guy to really uh, map out the the first 30 plays of the game or whatever? I think it was 15 plays, and now it's like up to 25 or 30, yeah. And now everybody does that. And it seemed like the 49er team that Walsh built and then kept on really had, like, great personalities. Did you find that? Did they all seem like they want their team players? 
Definitely. You know how you, you talk about a team supposed to be a family, and, and you talk about a 49er family. It really is, and it really was back then. I remember sitting in the office overlooking the practice field when we were in Redwood City at 7-Eleven Nevada Street in Redwood City, and, and I'd see Freddie Solomon staying after practice. Practice is over, and he's out there catching balls with Jerry Rice and showing Jerry how to catch it, pull it in, tuck it, protect it. And they were out there. They'd be out there working till dark after many practices. And it's like I said, said to Freddie one time. I said, Freddie, joking, but I said, you realize that you're teaching this guy to take your job. And Freddie said, exactly. We need. We're a family. I was like, wow. Yeah, that's that's really something. And that's I got the idea that Walsh and then afterwards Seaford and stuff. They weren't going to put up with a guy like like most of the great teams. They're just not going to put up with somebody that won't buy in, regardless of whatever their talent level is. Was he sort of that way? And secondly, was he also one of those type that if you had to make a move, it's better off to get rid of somebody earlier than before they really uh, conk out, as opposed to you know keep them around one year too late. You're right on target on both those. Uh, yes, he was the type of guy. Uh, and and actually, that wh- how you explain that just now is almost verbatim how Bill told it to me one day. I said, well, we're, we're considering getting rid of him. Yeah, Jared, it's always better to get rid of a guy sooner than later because if you wait too long, it's, it's going to end up hurting you. And he learned. He said he learned that in the Cincinnati days with Paul Brown. But he was definitely a, a, a guy that what wanted to to share share the wealth, if you will, and give people credit all the way down the line. And, and yes, yes, I'm, yes, I'm both, yes. Thanks, Jerry. And if you're visiting the San Francisco Bay Area, make sure to visit the 49ers Hall of Fame at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. Jerry was a key figure in the state-of-the-art presentation. Go to the Vegas Never Sleeps website and check out the Sports Rockin' Tour page. You can hear bonus content from this conversation soon, plus a number of other great sports stories. Don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Maggi. What if every dollar you invested into your training program turned into $30 of revenue? What if your learning program was so engaging that your employees looked forward to annual trainings? And what if you could monitor the success and effectiveness of your curriculum with quantifiable metrics? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. E-learning has made each of these scenarios possible, utilizing tools such as virtual and augmented reality, simulations, and online instructor-led training provides a safe environment for employees to learn at their own pace. Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Here at Epsilon XR, we have 50 years of experience in creating powerful and effective training programs. We combine proven training methods with cutting-edge technology to create immersive training experiences. Are you ready to take your training program to the next level? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Training.epsilonxr.com.